Hello listeners, hi Phil. Hey Laura, how are you doing? Welcome back. Thank you very much. Yeah, I've been away for a while. Not as long as you might think, listeners, um, based on the podcast that was missing from last week. Uh, but it's certainly been a good break. And to be honest, Phil, it's just a bit weird to be sat here doing the show again. What's that in front of a microphone, talking about movies, all that jazz, the yeah, usual I think feels I'd, not so I usual. I had quite a nice break, <laughs> to be perfectly honest. But I'm um, not that I'm not excited to be back because we've got some great films to talk about. We've got lots of news, loads of things to catch you guys up about. Thanks so much for tuning back in. And just to amplify the sorry for the lack of even a stopgap or a tweet or anything last week what i was planning on doing and decided not to for various reasons that may become clear was to record me talking to a robot version of phil where phil accepted full responsibility for uh failing to make last week happen i i was the available no you weren't i was i wasn't f- fitting in with your schedule Oh, what? That is ridiculous. Oh, right. Oh, why no. is it ridiculous, though? <laughs> yes, when, when was you trying to fit into What was mine? the word you said to me? I thought we weren't doing one this week. Yeah, that's what you told me. I think I almost want to play. No, we're doing the thing I wasn't going to do. <laughs> you can hear the clip at the end where I say, back next week. And you said, are we back next week? And I'm like, yes, we're back next week. Anyway, look, let's not do this. Hey, listeners, thanks very much for tuning back in. We are going to cover Thor, Ragnarok, Marvel Returns. What is that? His fifth on-screen outing, isn't it? Something like that. The third in the Thor f- solo outings, yeah. That's right. I've also been to see Breathe, starring Andrew Garfield and Claire Foy off of The Queen. I want to live. <laughs> That's Sorry. right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Hey, don't you chuckle. Trust me. And then I have also seen, because it's been Halloween, uh, around about the time we've been recording this, kind of voice was I have seen Happy Death Day. Mm. Imagine Groundhog Day meets a slasher film. Now, I've only heard this title being mentioned in tweets and things. And actually, because I've been away, I super avoided films, basically, except for one chat with BBC Berkshire down a very dodgy phone line. Uh, I don't know anything about it. Well, wait and see. <laughs> Go on. You, can, can you tell we've been away for a while? Can we're warming up to it it's, it's yeah. um yeah well, I, I mean listeners realistically we should be saying oh how lucky you are because now you're in the presence of a official film critic that's right hey more this- so than ever before <laughs> that's true in a way isn't it yeah there's some good news listeners some super belly bros news of a kind bbc radio oxford have invited me to be their drive time film critic so every thursday from about 6 30 p.m you can hear me previewing the upcoming films with howard bentham on his show isn't that weird that's exciting man it's really exciting i'm i am very excited and it, it's a well, it's the kind of thing that we didn't think would ever happen and then suddenly it's happening Funny how this thing produces more little things that you don't expect to happen, isn't it? It's just one of those uh, gifts that keep on giving. Something like that, yeah. Well, and similarly, Oxford Brooks University uh, had me in for their film studies course. As a podcast This podcast. Can you imagine, Phil? Who saw that coming? Uh, You did. You've been talking about it for a while. (laughs) That's true, that's true. That was really, really exciting. And on the off chance that any of the students from that lecture are tuning in, hey, thanks so much for having me on. That was a lot of fun. And I hope my general ramblings and sort of incomplete factoids were helpful. Did you put any forward, any uh, theories or anything like that? Theories about what? About how to be brilliant. Uh, I did give some advice. I can't stop giving advice. What's your top you know? for being brilliant on say? the podcast? I think uh, I said something like, be yourself. Of course I did. Uh, which is really true, though, isn't it? I mean, let's be honest. But also the ruthlessness thing. And you and I have had lots of discussions about this. I said, you know, don't repeat yourself. Have the confidence that when you made a point, don't try and make it better again. Because to a listener, it tends to sound like you're just saying the same thing twice. Yeah, it's really important that you don't repeat stuff and you just say exactly what you mean to the first time. Yeah. And especially don't try and clarify 
what somebody else has said. And if you can clarify, if I can just clarify your point there, Phil, it's really important uh, because you need to place yourself in the shoes of the listener, and it's really painful hearing someone repeat something. Isn't because it? clarity, yeah, yeah. It, like you don't you just don't repeat what you've just said because uh, nobody needs to hear it more than once. Good one. We are back. <laughs> Should we be ruthless and get going with the actual show? I think we must. I was considering leaving Laurie's thought for the episode uh, aside, uh, like a sort of. I don't know, a flag that you've had enough of or something? A flag? I don't know. I, can, I, I, I had a picture in my head of someone laying down a flag they'd been waving. It seemed Goodbye. poetic, but not quite right. Well, shall I do that or shall I try and find one? Uh, can you do a thought for the day after I've done some business? All right, do Very some quickly. Business. If you want to email the show, you can email the show at superbaileybros at gmail.com or you can tweet us at superbaileybros. Thank you very much for those who've been getting in touch. If you'd like to support the show, you can do at patreon.com forward slash superbaileybros. Thank you very much to all those who do support us. It means a lot. Laurie is uh, happier in his bank account making the show run. That's right, woman. I would be I would be unhappy. It would be sliding downwards without it. So it's very, very much appreciated. Okay, thanks, Phil. That was good business. Very slick, man. You Obviously, these three weeks haven't hurt you at all. No. <laughs> uh, okay. Oh, and by the way, listeners, we're going to have a selection of your emails and tweets that you've been sending while we've been away towards the end of the show. So do stay to listen to whatever it is you've been saying. Here's my thought for today. It's really quick. Phil, how do you say the phrase hodgepodge? Hodgepodge. Pronounce it again for me. Hodgepodge. How are you spelling that? Uh, well, like the same way, a bit like hedge, but mm-hmm. with H O. Hedge. And then hedgepedge, yeah. Okay. You know, I discovered this because I was on holiday uh, with our dad, Phil, and mum as well. And we talked about hodgepodge. And he said, hmm, interesting. Um, so would you pronounce that hodgepodge or hotchpotch? Hotchpotch. Hotchpotch. Well, may you uh, sneer at that, Phil, but just know that that is the traditional British variant of the phrase, and you and I have been subtly Americanized into saying it's hodgepodge. Well, you know, bring on the Americanization. No problem here. You don't. You don't feel the loss of hotchpotch. It's much no. harder to say. I think we're going to become more and more American. Do you think so? Yeah. Even autocorrect on my iPhone sided with hodgepodge because when I tried to write it down in my little notepad, hodgepodge. it wouldn't have hodgepodge. It would. It would only have hodgepodge. <laughs> to be fair, hodgepodge sounds better for what the purposes. I don't know. It's all a lot of hodgepodge. I think that's hodgepodge. Brainwashing from the Atlantic. What would you think of hodgepodge? <laughs> oh, I don't know. I want to start the show. <laughs> We're making a real hodgepodge of this. Okay, here we go. Right, <laughs> listeners, thanks for tuning back in. This is episode season two, episode I think thirty-four of Super Belly Bros in Movie Land. Welcome. Let's go. Woohoo! Phil, it's half past eight in the evening. No time for an intro. That's what I say. Let's review Thor Ragnarok. Sorry, are you feeling uncomfortable? What do you mean? Well, you said you're feeling Thor. Oh, I, what did I just say? <laughs> what did I just say? It was good. No, it's pretty good. Listeners, Thor Ragnarok is, as we said in the beginning there, um, the fifth on-screen outing for Chris Hemsworth as the Norse god. And I think it's his third standalone film. Am I right? He hasn't appeared in more than that, has he? That's the two Avengers films as well. Uh, he made sort of vague appearances in some things, but not really. No, this is this is his fifth one. And you know, Phil, am I wrong about this? I'm going purely on memory to make a point here. Was the last Marvel film uh, Civil War, Captain America? No, the no. last one was Spider-Man Homecoming. Well, that wasn't... But, oh, it's, I suppose it was Marvel, wasn't it? And actually, Doctor Strange came after that as well, didn't yeah, it? Yeah, and Doctor Strange even makes a bit of a cameo in this film. But the reason I bring that up is that, for me, sitting in this film, it felt like it had been a really long time since I've seen a superhero film. Actually, Wonder Woman as well. <laughs> Wonder Woman came out recently. There's something really strange about this film that makes it feel like it's something's come back. Do you know what I'm talking about? Yeah, absolutely. Suddenly, the tone is a bit different. It's a bit more fun. It's a bit more fresh. It's a bit more original. It's not like the usual Marvel sort of film. 
It is slightly different. It's it's sort of an isolated film. It doesn't feel like a TV episode, a new installment in the next Shield or whatever it might be. This is Thor, the big film, Ragnarok. And it's being a film. It looks different. It looks distinctive. The characters are distinctive. The whole vibe is distinctive, which is something which I think Marvel has slowly been on the decline with. Yeah, big time. I'd I'd been getting so tired of it. But strangely enough, it felt like there was new life being breathed into it. And I do think, Phil, the person we have to thank for that, right at the top here, listeners, before we've even given you a plot summary or anything, is Taika Waititi, the director. He also did What We Do in Shadows, which is that obscure New Zealand comedy about vampires, I think, and Hunt for the Wilder uh, People with Sam Neill, which took Netflix by storm quite recently. Do you remember that one? Yeah, it's been very popular. Lots of people recommended it. I've been meaning to watch it. I haven't managed to yet. Yeah, so I think listeners feel the excitement and the surprise uh, that's already there. And Phil, give us a rundown of the plot. Basically, if you've seen Avengers Age of Ultron, you'll be very aware that Thor really wasn't in it that much. Part of the reason why is because during that film, he had a vision of Ragnarok, the Norse end of end of the world scenario, and he thinks Ragnarok is going to happen. So we meet Thor, and he is in a bit of a tricky situation. He's all strapped up and kind of thinking, how on earth did I end up here? I've been trying to work out why do I keep on having these visions of Ragnarok, the end of Asgard, and he thinks he's worked out what's going to happen and he starts sort of solving it but then suddenly out of the blue his can i say this is this a spoiler no no it's in the trailer yeah 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 his older sister suddenly appears out of uh, sort of a hell or prison to claim back asgard as the rightful heir it's his big sister and she comes in it's played by kate blanchett mm-hmm. and she comes in destroys his hammer and takes over basically and um in the process thor and loki are both cast out to a random planet it's somewhere sort of interdimensional in the junkyard in, in a way, isn't it? While he's there, he gets captured and put into an arena. It's the the Grandmaster played by Jeff Goldblum's mm. Contest of Champions. And Thor is now put in as a contender. And when he gets into the contest, he realises he has to win if he's going to be freed, if he's going to be able to get back to Asgard to defeat his sister, Hela, and claim back Asgard and protect its people from ultimate destruction and Ragnarok. Yeah, nicely done, Phil. It's a strange film, so Thor's got two big problems on his plate, escape and save kind of the world, something along those lines. Now, I think that sounds pretty plot heavy, but I want to say it's actually the opposite when you experience it. And it's unusual, I think, for you and I, Phil, to be able to give so much of the plot without spoiling anything. Um, And to my mind, that makes it a well-structured film. Yeah. Should we play the trailer and just give you a bit of a flavour of the mood of the film? Here's the vibe. Check the vibe. So much has happened since I last saw you. I lost my hammer, like yesterday, so that's still pretty fresh. And then I went on a journey of self-discovery. Where I met you. Where are we? You have no idea. Hello, the goddess of death has invaded Asgard. Oh, I've missed this. And you and I had a fight recently. Did I win? No, I won easily. Doesn't sound right. Well, that's true. Asgard is dead. And it'll be reborn in my image. I thought you'd be glad to see me. To stop her here and now. To prevent Ragnarok, the end of everything. So they're putting together a team. 
like the old days. Surprise! This will be such fun. Hello. Hi. He's a fighter. a queen or a monster i'm the goddess of death what were you the god of again we're the same you and i just a couple of hot-headed fools yeah same hulk like fire mm. though i like water well kind of both like fire but hulk like raging fire though i like smoldering fire <laughs> So Phil listeners has just accused me of already knowing what I think about this film because I reviewed it on Saturday morning's BBC Oxford show. You're getting the uh, Laurie Bailey post-discussion version of the review. <laughs> That's so untrue and unfair. That is absolutely 100% true. <laughs> so I think I'm going to take this review over and you figure it out and you can well, chip in with your little thoughts. So rude. All right, come on then. Well, first of all, start with the question then. Laurie, what do you think of the film? <laughs> Uh, well, Phil, as I happened to say on the radio a little while ago, I think there are two major things about this film that make it stand out. And I want to do it this way because I only got to say one before we had to move on on the radio. Oh, so, no. the, number one, Taika Waititi, he's found what has been lacking in Marvel, full stop, I think. Marvel, you know, the films, the superhero films are known for a bit of a humorous streak. You're always going to find some kind of irreverence, a bit of irony and lots of gags, lots of in-jokes and not things not really being taken too seriously, even when, you know, the fate of the universe is at stake. But what they haven't really done before is gone out and out funny. This film is a comedy. It's got funny before anything else. And I think that is a genius bit of decision because... It frees the humour in the film from the need to be all in-jokey. And actually, I do think you would find it just as funny and interesting if you didn't know anything about Thor. Would you agree with me? Yeah, I think that is a massive part of the film's success. Rather than having to be sarcastic and the coolest guy in the room with the little quips, instead these characters are just funny and they embrace that and they do the jokes up front. It's not in the background as an afterthought. It is, I'm just going to be funny. And they're also willing to make fun of themselves or... Uh, let Thor or the main character cast be made fun of as well. And what is good is the fact that Thor is a, I'd say is well known in the Marvel Universe. It's been relatively successful in the previous films, but I think it's slightly the unloved child of the grand scheme of films. Do you think films. so? I say it was probably the least popular of the Marvel heroes. I think I like it quite a lot more than uh, many of the others. I've always had a soft spot for it, but I think after this film, a lot of people will like Thor as a character way, way more. Rather than um, having his character remain the same, like Tony Stark does oh, film after film Tony after film is the same character Thor's kind of gone on a little bit of a journey from the first film with Kenneth Branagh he was a, a kind of classically trained version Rooting a little bit dumb almost a Shakespearean he? version of a god yeah and now having sort of maybe hung out with the Avengers and been on Earth a little bit too long he's sort of a mix between this Asgardian with the kind of classic lang- language and also the humour of Earth if that makes sense in the little world yeah but that all works so well he's a very relatable hero you want him to succeed he's fun and the dynamic he has with Loki his uh, little brother played by Tom Hiddleston mm-hmm. is is genuinely gold I think Loki has been the biggest success of those films early on and he's here again but he doesn't feel as overpowering as he did in the other films he's a very enjoyable character isn't he the bad guy that you sort of love a little bit because he's charming and sneaky 
but also you know knows how to get things done it it's just it's just very well conceived and a, a huge amount of the edge has to go to the fact that the performers are on top of things chris hemsworth isn't just charismatic and charming he's obviously got good comic timing and a good nose for what's going to be funny in an offbeat way rather than an obvious way jeff goldblum's casting i mean the guy is on full eccentric everyone loves jeff goldblum form and he, he is brilliant in it i thought i didn't know mark ruffalo could be as funny as he was in this film similarly tom hiddleston is not the guy that you think of when you think of gags and wittiness and sort of slapstick but that is him in this film isn't it yeah there's definitely uh, just a mood uh, created by Taika Waititi. And he's the major thing. It's really well directed, really well edited. Everyone looks comfortable. And even though they look like they're having fun, it's not, it doesn't, that horrible rule doesn't apply that the more fun they're having behind the camera, the less fun you're having in the audience or whatever. No, um, which is surprising because uh, I was reading somewhere that he didn't really have uh, dialogue as such. He asked the actors to improvise and change things and make it feel a bit more natural. It was more like, uh, maybe how they do Curb Your Enthusiasm or something like that where they have a scene idea and then how they say it and what lines they use is kind of up to the actors but it makes it feel very much alive and I reckon probably there's a sense in which if you have these characters nailed down like you do with Loki, Hulk and, and Thor they don't. They know what their characters are about they know what their identity is so the actors are, can be trusted just to go off and play with them and enjoy being them and I think that's really the success of the film I'm, I'm with you man do you want to know my second point and, and maybe you can take the reins on this one I was just impressed by the imagination of the narrative and I haven't done my homework this time I'm afraid to look up the comic book source but this junkyard planet Sakaar and the whole way that it's conceived down to the Colosseum and the styling the choice to use actual props rather than CGI in a lot of places Stuff felt incredibly vivid and enjoyable to picture in a way that Marvel haven't succeeded at for a long time. Yeah, it's a distinct visual style. There's really good production values. In terms of the ideas behind it, it's a weird mishmash of different ideas that have been in the comic books. And and it's sort of choosing the best bits from the buffet and constructing something new out of it. The whole idea of a contest of champions was actually in a Hulk comic, and they brought that in and put Thor in the middle oh, really? of it all. Okay. And they sort of maybe used a bit of studio finagling to get around certain limitations they had in order to put the characters that they've got in it. Okay. The visuals, I think, are amazing in this film, and that's kind of linked to what you're saying, isn't it? The, the realisation of this world. It's the imagination, the mise-en-scene, all that sort of stuff seems to be working really well. It's so strong, and some of the shots, I think, are just absolutely beautiful. There's a particular sequence, which is the flashback sequence, in which uh, you see uh, Hela, Kate Blanche's character, before she was put in this prison, wreaking havoc on Asgard, which was just stunning. And the music with it was great, but the visuals are just almost like a moving painting. It was that sort of pretty and lovely to look at. It was impressive. And it's a really nice aesthetic having this kind of classical element with the Asgardians mixed with this junkyard, Neo-Tokyo sort of technological thing going on. And it all just somehow manages to fit together. The fact that Marvel has managed to create this world where you can have a a god, an Asgardian god, in the same place as a rock monster Hmm. who's on a space planet firing a laser bazooka sort of thing. It all just means that it's just fun. There's so much fun to be had. And I I was amazed at how much of the film I was just smiling at and enjoying. Yeah, me too. It was just a straightforward... It actually felt, for all these reasons sort of combined, it felt far more to me just like an old-school fantasy adventure film 
than a comic book movie. I was reminded of sort of 80s adventures where everything was a bit wonky, but very colourful. And it didn't matter that you were jumping around from place to place because you understand this is a hero's journey and they sort of mockingly refer to themselves like that. Phil, I want to ask you about the new characters that got introduced in this particular film. And that includes What's-His-Face out of Rohan and uh, Carl Star Urban Trek. Carl Urban. As Sturg, yeah. who is this Asgardian-wielding two AK-47. He was funny, like, and he played him like a weird Cockney guy. It was very compelling, like a mincing accent. I was impressed by that. Um, then also Tessa Thompson, I think she is, who was playing Valkyrie. And who's the other one? There was someone else I'm thinking of. Oh, yeah, The Rock Man. I can't remember his name. Korg. Korg, yes. Who's played by the director. He is the voice of it. This is, He's got a very clear New Zealand twang. Yes, Taika Waititi. Lots yeah. of uh, humour comes from him. I maybe felt a little bit too much humour at times in the film. It was always, It was going a bit too much for the jokes. But I think on the whole, this new cast of characters is great. It's kind of amazing that they've got more characters to offer this this huge sprawling empire of different different universes and characters. And yet here they are, they're distinctive, they're engaging. I'd like to see more of them. And that's quite an impressive feat to do, I think. Yeah, it really is. Well, there we go. I mean, that's it's all thumbs up all around. I'm trying to think of any negatives. You're going to let me, let me I'm say sorry, I thought, I thought you were taking you, your breath. We've done you? your thing. <laughs> You've done all, all right, your come points. On, come on, hit me, with it, gonna... hit me with it, hit me with it. Uh, something which I think was brilliant about the film is it does go for a lot of jokes, but I was very pleased to see that actually there were a couple of scenes which were genuinely quite sincere and were allowed to breathe. They weren't in, they weren't undermined by the humour all the way through. So there's a really nice scene with um, uh, Anthony Hopkins, Loki and Thor kind of in the middle of the, the film, which I was surprised that they let just be quite quiet and genuine. And actually it was it was impact, impactful. I enjoyed that moment and it meant that the whole film never uh, loses the stakes. Something which I thought was really unfortunate about Thor The Dark World, the one before this one, was the fact that it was going for all this humour, but it undercut all the stakes of the film at all, all times. So you during, notice they've left behind those new characters, haven't they? Yeah, and they've kind of, they've, they've all been sort of wiped away. But in that film, you'd have in the climax... Thor making a joke about being stuck on the London Underground. And that takes away the tension massively. And part of this film's success, I think, is the fact that the stakes are very clear and they are genuine stakes that are right the way through the film, even though you've got this humour, this comedy, this sort of adventure silliness. At the same time, at the heart of it, Thor is trying to save Asgard. But and that you genuinely feel like that is something which is in danger. That's the genius of making it a comedy film, because all the best comedy films, they do have a plot and you are invested. But it's just that the main thing is the comedy. And that's how you access the characters. Once you've accessed the characters, you understand their plight. And that's kind of what you're talking about, right? Yeah. And a lot of credit to Kate Blanchett as Hela. She's great. I thought she was really fun and a genuinely interesting villain. Part of the problems with Marvel films in general is the villains are not really up to much. There's nothing really to them. For this one, I felt like she had a backstory. She had a cool design. She seemed powerful. And she seemed like she was enjoying being in this film. Yeah, she did. She looked like she was having a ball. I think I thought she was ever so slightly underused. And that's partly because so much of the film, she's not with Thor. And that's what the conflict really is. Um, but, you know, I agree with you on the whole. But I think that's that's impressive that it's only a slight niggle because there's so many things going on in this film. There's loads of different worlds, loads of different settings, loads of different characters. And actually, the film zips along. It's not a short film, but I was entertained right the way through. And I, I really enjoyed it. I kind of recommend you go see it if you haven't seen it already. To anybody. I'd, one thing, a couple of... Have you got more to say, Phil? Am I allowed to talk? <laughs> <laughs> it's not like that. Okay, I've got okay. one more thing I would like to right, more you, point you do, out. You do it, you do it. I think this is a great film because it is 
relatively isolated. You don't need to have loads and loads of backstory to access the film. While there are characters that pop up like Doctor Strange, which maybe I wasn't that much of a fan of. It didn't need to be there, but it was fine. It was fine. But on the whole, it's not doing that Marvel thing where it's firing off links to everything else. It's sort of using what's already been set up to then do a new story on its own. Thor feels like an isolated film that you can enjoy on its own terms. You don't need to have all the backstory about everything. You kind of just say, okay, that character's there, that character's there. Now let's have a movie, let's enjoy it. And it's a complete story. And I thought you would be quite happy about that as you're not you a fan bet, of man. the intertextuality. It was there, but it was well woven into the script. It didn't stick out. It wasn't annoying. It felt like they'd enable this guy to be pretty hands-off, which is a real credit to Taika Waititi that he's managed to drive through that kind of vision. Uh, my uh, two things are much more practical. It's a 12A, listeners, and it, I think it's worth saying if you've got young kids and you you know, considering taking them to watch it, I think it's fine. I do think some of the more violent scenes are actually really quite violent and they're threatening, genuinely. They're also fast, so that you're quite likely to forget them once they're over. But Halla is, you know, she's got teeth, hasn't she? Oh, yeah, she's a violent, she's the goddess of death. Yeah. And you really believe that. So bear that in mind. Final note from me. I really like the um, synthy soundtrack for the uh, Sakaar planet. It was good, wasn't it? Yeah, it was surprisingly it was really good. good. Again, something that Marvel's been criticised for is not really having much nous to its music or much oomph. No, this one, I good. think, has it. Listeners, really, genuinely, I think you can tell Phil and I both loved it. We've talked for quite a long time, actually, Phil. <laughs> right, <laughs> okay. Hopefully it's been interesting. Go see it. I, I really can't think of any reason not to recommend it. It is light and funny and kind of good for everybody. If you didn't like it, you've got to tell us. Yeah, do get in touch and do get in touch with your thoughts as well if you have seen it already. I know a couple of my friends have seen it and they, they've loved it. I've seen it on Facebook, they've been enjoying it. So yeah, do get in touch. If you want to email the show, superbabybros at gmail.com or you can tweet us at superbabybros. Send in your plus ones, your minus ones. In some ways, it doesn't, doesn't really, really apply this in this one case, because yeah. we both enjoyed it. But Laurie, what is your grade? It can be a little bit more nuanced. You can say which person you like better when it <laughs> came to express What's your, your grade? Oh, I hadn't even thought about grades. I think... Oh, you're too big for grades no, now. No, no, no. Now I that just, you're the Oxford I'm just man. out of the habit, man. Just out of the habit. I think you're going to criticise me for this because I think I'm going to give it a B plus just because I don't think it has ambitions to be an A movie and I applaud it for that. I think I kind of agree with that grade and I agree with that reasoning. I'm going to give it an A- just because I enjoyed it that much. Fair and enough. There you go. Yeah, that's it. it really is, as you said in the beginning, Laurie. It's a fun movie with the superheroes at the centre but it doesn't feel like all the superhero movies you've seen recently. It feels fresh and alive. Yeah, that's right. There you go. Go see it, listeners, and tell us your thoughts. Or Ragnarok. Now, Phil, it will be good to be able to say we're going to do a breather here and then review the film Breathe, which is the joke that you just made off air. Very good. Mm -hmm. Instead, we're actually going to have a breather, I think, from reviews. <laughs> and uh, we've got a discussion topic for you, listeners, and us this week. That's a great little natural introduction to this topic. <laughs> Why don't you just say, now, Phil... Did you know that they're doing a remake of The Matrix? Okay, well, you just give the game away now. All right, okay, listeners, can you believe your ears? It is rumoured, and I think slightly more than rumoured, that Warner Brothers are considering remaking The Matrix. It makes me feel like I'm in The Matrix. But such a thing <laughs> doesn't make sense. Uh, such a thing is even being considered. Can you believe it? I mean, it was made in the 90s, yes. But if you haven't heard Phil and I talk about it before, that film is so brilliant. Everything about it is wonderful. It's the sort of film where um, 
you will tell your kids about how influential it was. Yeah. And they won't believe you because they'll be like, oh, this is rubbish. But yeah. it was so good. Like, and it, it was still massive. is so it inspired good. inspired a fashion wave. <laughs> like, the weirdest fashion For Laurie wave. in particular. <laughs> hey, look, come on. When I was 12, it was cool. Uh, was that right? Was I 12? Yeah, maybe. You were asking me at least 15 because you can't Whoa, see that film unless you're 15, no. Laurie. Uh, but it was, it was huge. It was massive. It inspired loads of copycats, all that sort of stuff. But they're talking about rebooting it. And a lot of people are saying, oh, is this like, this is just proof that Hollywood is over. Everything's gone wrong because how can you do this? I mean, there's there no sanctity to the original vision that they're remaking it? What do they think audiences are so dumb that they just need to see a, a hot new star in the role? Do they think audiences are so lame they can't go and find it on some streaming service somewhere? Uh, you know, watch it on DVD, that ancient historic medium. Like, what? <laughs> what is the pro- Why are they doing this, Phil? Maybe because Disney is doing it right now with all of its uh, animation properties and making an absolute killing. That's true. This is what you get, listeners. This is what you get if you support those films. <laughs> you get you still saw remakes of films which are perfectly good as, as they are. Yeah. Uh, but it did make me think, listeners, one way to divert my disbelief and rage at this, if it should come to pass, and if you've not seen The Matrix, just watch it. It's fantastic. Uh, is there's, there's another option out there, and I... I sort of would like to see movie studios consider it as an option. You know, like in a sitcom, when there's a character and they just change actor halfway through. You kind of think for the <laughs> like first Like Vivian co- in The Fresh Prince. Yeah, exactly. Right, yeah, yeah, yeah. It's like, that's, that's not his that's aunt. That's not his mum. Oh, no, he's not his aunt, yeah. But he keeps calling her Aunt Viv, so I guess she must be. Like, it takes you maybe an episode for that disconnect to wear off, and then it's just fine, isn't it? You and deal you with like, it. You often like the new one better. That's just how it goes. Like the same thing with Ross's wife in uh, Friends, I realised, by the way. What's her name? Carol. Yeah, she changes. she changes, like, after the first episode. Or exactly. What we should be considering is allowing brilliant first entries into a franchise, like The Matrix, to exist. Locked in. Relaunch that it. thing, you know, put it in cinemas again, so that you can then do the second one fresh. Because everyone agrees that The Matrix, whilst a brilliant first film... As a trilogy, maybe a little bit lackluster. I'd be up for seeing the Matrix film reinterpreted from episode two onwards. Leave the first one alone. Why not just reboot it? Just recast all the actors. We'll have that cognitive dissonance moment where we're like, that's not Keanu Reeves. They could probably still cast him, though. He doesn't age that man. Isn't he a time traveller? <laughs> yeah, he's a time traveller. You can find paintings of Keanu Reeves. Like. <laughs> yeah, so, but no one will really care because they'll be interested to see a new direction for the story. So what, what do you think about that? Yeah, or you do the reverse Disney and you put them in an animation. So you do like a 3D animated version of The Matrix so you can recreate the the, the actors. But my whole point is you've got to keep the first one the same. Yeah, yeah, that's oh, what I'm saying. Oh, I see what you mean. Okay, so like you right. do what they did with Carrie Fisher in Rogue One and you just digitally remake her face yeah. and put it on some young <laughs> mo-capped person. I'm not so sure about that, actually, Phil. <laughs> I'm just saying, I wouldn't surprise <laughs> if Look the studios the do this. But I would really like to see this because I think a lot of people feel this with certain franchises that they really love. They like they want to keep the good and get rid of the bad. Yeah. I felt that in some ways with the prequels. I don't think... Star Wars, you mean? Yeah, the Star Wars prequels. I kind of wish they could just leave the original trilogy as is, go back and just sort of fix them. And people on YouTube have done their whole rewrites of how they would do the pre- the prequels and make them better and more engaging and everything like that. I've even done it, Laurie. I've even got have ideas really? of how to do it. Yeah. Oh. And, uh, and I kind of wish that you could kind of just fix those films but leave the other ones as is because well, that's they right. work. So you've got the original Star Wars ones to launch off from. Why not redo it? But I mean, that's ever so slightly different because presumably you're saying do it from scratch. Don't keep any of the Phantom Menace. Um, yeah, sort of. But in some ways, I kind of wish I could take the actors and just rejig it. You know, I think Liam Neeson is Qui-Gon's fun. There's potential there, but it was wasted. That was the thing which is really bothering. And similarly, I think that's kind of what you're hitting at with The Matrix as well. There was yeah. There's loads of potential in the first film. That's all good. It sets up really well. 
And we've even done this on the podcast with our, our other brother, Sam. Yeah. yeah, we rewrote The Matrix. How would we fix The Matrix Reloaded? And if you want to listen to some good ideas, particularly from Laurie, which is really annoying, well, then mine go good. listen back. Yeah, they remember. were good. Oh, right. Well, there we are. <laughs> well, yeah, please do listen. But listeners, I want to know, it's, can you think of any trilogies or franchises where this would really, really work? You loved the original one. It holds a special place in your heart, in your mind, whatever. And you don't want to see it just get rebooted wholesale. Instead, let's start from episode two onwards. Who cares? Recast it, whatever. If you've got some great ideas, why not send them to us? You can cast them yourself, why not? That was fun. I enjoyed doing that with the video games. Thing. Yeah, I, was... I wish we got to that bit sooner in that episode. <laughs> yeah, that was my favourite bit of that <laughs> episode. Anyway, but also that reminds me as well. We did this as a feature, rewriting films that we felt were wrong. And the rewrite, been... yeah. The rewrite was a, a segment that we were doing. We only think I did a couple of films in the end. But listeners, if you've got your ideas of how you'd rewrite or rejig a film that you thought had potential but didn't quite work out, then do email in that as well. Give us your, your ideas of how to fix films and who you cast in it or whatever, all that jazz. We'd like to hear from you. There we go. That was a quite a rambly discussion topic this week, but you know we're still getting back into the swing. You know it's hard. You know you picked up all that holiday weight, and I know it really did, man. That's really <laughs> true. Yeah, I ate, I ate very well. <laughs> I have to say, uh, listeners, yes. So send in your thoughts. Yeah, and tell us what you think about that news with the Matrix reboot. I, it's just terrible. I can't believe it. But then it could be really good. No, 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 no. Right, let's move on. Grumpy old man. <laughs> Right, listeners, so we're going to do this as a sort of fake what we've been watching, because although we do have loads of what we've been watching films stacked up, the episode will be too long with those this week. So we're going to do Breathe and Happy Death Day in the sort of what we've been watching style. Yes, so that means, are we going to start with Breathe first? Why don't we? Here we go, here's the trailer, Breathe. I could ask you to dance, and you could say, well, I don't feel like dancing. And then I could say, well, maybe some other time. Or I could just not ask. <laughs> Diana, this is your future life we're talking about. You hardly know him. He's practically a stranger. The thing is, I just know this is it. I love you, Robin. I'm not feeling too good. I can't move. What's going on? Robin, get him on a respirator! People paralysed by polio don't last long. Can't move anything from the neck down. Can't even breathe for yourself. How do you live like this? Yes, you suit. I love you, and I want Jonathan to know you. You can't love this. Yes, I can. There must be something I can do. Get me out of here. Robin's going to leave the hospital. No one with your husband's disability exists outside a hospital. Has anyone ever tried? Robin! Robin! Be right, darling. Much better. Five pounds says you'll never make it. You're on. <laughs> darling, call Teddy. I've had an idea. A wheelchair that does his breathing for him. Are you sure it's safe? It's worked so far. Alan! You owe me five pounds. Yummy bastard. Why do you keep your disabled people in prison? No one's believed it's possible to live as you do. Well, we should open the gates and set them free. Bloody virus. What now, up in a world tour? Wouldn't that be an adventure? When I first became paralyzed, I wanted to die. My wife told me I had to live. See how our son grow up. Your life is my life. I don't want to just survive. 
I want to truly live. I think he should be in hospital. No? You're quite right. No. Now, I've, did, I've been doing impressions of Andrew Garfield's voice in this film, and Laurie's been pointing out that uh, the guy's on a ventilator in the film, so that's not really very fair. I want to point out that I'm making fun of his super posh voice, <laughs> not anything else. And uh, I have to say, this film does not interest me in the slightest. Seriously? At all. I feel like I've seen the film from that trailer because everything is in there. It's a true story. I wonder what happens. Phil, I mean, that's very cynical of you. I mean, that's you're taking my seat. I know, but I can't... It just riles me up, this film. I feel like it is entirely just marketed... For a certain sort of person. Oh, okay, look, and look, give me a chance. It's just designed to get Andrew Garfield an Oscar. Yeah, well, we'll come back to that in a minute, but give me a chance to change your mind. Listeners, Phil is quite right. This is a true story. This is about Robin Cavendish, who is an incredibly famous sort of disability activist. He was trying to improve uh, the lives of people, particularly who experience paralysis, and he was involved in all kinds of revolutionary technologies and initiatives designed to improve the lives of those people uh, who are suffering that kind of condition. And the first thing that's really important to say, Jonathan Cavendish, his son, who features in the film as a baby and a little boy, is a film producer, and he produced Bridget Jones' Diary, and he also produced like Elizabeth the Golden Age, and he produced this. So there is a direct line to authenticity in the film, but I think self-confessed, sort of slightly sentimental. And I think that's probably what you're reacting to, Phil. Just imagine if your dad had done, I mean, our dad <laughs> had done something amazing and really life-changing for so many, pe- so many people and you had the resources and the ability to make a film about his life. How could you not infuse it with a sort of warm glow, right? Yeah, it's just got that sort of slightly sickening romanticism to it all. Well, and the reason you say that is because the, the whole film is Andrew Garfield plays Robin Cavendish, the young Robin Cavendish, as this unbelievably posh tea broker working in Kenya. Very, very charming. I have to admit, I really loved it because it's so unfashionable right now to portray people with that kind of wealth and class in a sympathetic way. Would you agree with that? Yeah, you don't want to be that guy, do you? No, exactly. But this film is completely unapologetic. Directed by Andy Serkis, Phil. It's his debut because uh, he and Jonathan Cavendish work in the same production company. I think directed brilliantly. You know, everyone goes on and on about Up the beginning of Pixar's Up having that amazing montage that immediately makes your heart bleed I actually think despite everything you're saying Phil this is incredibly effective I really felt and believed this romance between these two people Andrew Garfield's Robin Cavendish and uh, Claire Foy's sort of hard to get Diana society girl who turns out to have a core of British steel and a very stiff upper lip, all that sort of stuff. Therefore, the girl from The Crown, right? Exactly. The Crown, is it? Or The Queen or whatever? I can't remember. The, the Crown, Netflix thing. on Netflix. So yeah, they get on really, really well. He contracts polio ter- awfully. It paralyzes him from the neck down. He goes on a ventilator. He's stuck in hospital. He resents it. They concoct a scheme to get him out of hospital, living at their family home. And that's where he said, you know, he discovers that he can live. He can have a meaningful life with his family and his friends. His friends are basically like Richard Curtis does a biopic. <laughs> they're sort of, they're Exactly, exactly. Well, it is, and it is like that. I mean, Tom Hollander plays twins, and they're like Tweedledee and Tweedledum. I mean, it's, oh. And uh, Hugh Bonneville turns up as a professor who helps him invent this amazing chair that can contain the respirator in it so that he's able to travel based on a real guy. But he plays him as just Hugh Bonneville, exactly as Hugh Bonneville would, the cheerful chap from Notting Hill, before yeah. all this Downton Abbey nonsense. And it contains very, very few surprises. But what it does contain, Phil, is real emotion 
And despite what almost every other critic appears to be saying, I think it's unafraid to plumb the depths of despair and and misery and the fraughtness of that emotional setting. What I've seen other critics saying, oh, it would have been way more interesting to see from uh, Claire Foy's point of view how difficult it is to have someone who's so dependent in-house because he she needed to do absolutely everything for him. He needs a machine to breathe for him. And they were all saying, well, we didn't really get to see any of that. But... They're, they're such missing the point. It annoyed me how much these guys are missing the point. You clunk their heads together if you could, because the film is absolutely upfront not doing that. It's trying to present a perspective on this guy's life that is unashamedly positive. Look at the life this man was able to live. Look at how much joy and how much good and how much innovation came from his presence and his will to live and his wife's incredible commitment uh, to making sure that that was possible. You know, I... I cried three times, Phil, unashamedly. <laughs> I blubbed and I was incredibly moved by the spirit of the film. And I think you'll have a heart of stone <laughs> if you aren't. But do you similarly. not find that you kind of want to resist that because it's so clearly trying to make you feel that? No, I no, don't I like it when the film is so overtly, oh, you're going to cry at this. But I and think it's it depends pulling what it's... it like your nose hairs just to try and get a reaction. But it depends you. what the motive is, right? I think the motive in this case is to make you think... This is real for the, this was real for these people. So therefore, I want you to experience some of the warmth that was real to me. I think that's the kind of thing that Jonathan Cavendish is going for. It gets a little bit too far when, for example, they break down on a hillside in Spain and they manage to keep the ventilator going while help comes and that turns into an impromptu fiesta uh, with uh, all these Spanish locals coming and playing guitar around the fire and they're all dancing. And that was a bit much. But this is what I mean. When you say it's overt, it's not, it's not trying to make you think this is the most meaningful thing I've ever seen. I really think it's okay because it's trying to convince you what was a real experience for other people. Does that make sense? Do you understand the difference? Yeah, I do. I know what you mean. And I get what the film is trying to... It's taking an angle on everything, and so therefore, what's wrong with that? Because we do that all the time with films. Yeah. It doesn't need to be the depressing angle. Exactly. It doesn't uh, need to and have I every get angle. that, but you also slipped in something there, which I think is really crucial to Uh-oh. why I don't want to see this film. You said there's no surprises, and like, why would you want to see a, a story with no surprises? Well, that's not entirely true. There are, you know, narrative turns that you, you can't know unless but you like, know the man's they're life. all but in the trailer. N- no, that's not entirely true. I, no. I feel like I know which scene, like, would be the ending. I don't think you do know which scene would be the ending. And actually, that's one of my negatives, which is that I think uh, whilst I think the perspective thing is really interesting, I think it does have a slightly heavy hand with something else that is uh, brought up towards the end of the film. And I think I thought that was an interesting move and it was slightly at odds with the rest of the film. So there's a surprise for you. I'm going to say one more thing. And I'm sure people are probably going, Phil, shut up. Like, just stop being all cynical and miserable like Laurie is. Uh, (laughs) Look what you slipped (laughs) in. I know, I know, exactly. Uh, Do it for fun. Um, Haven't we seen this film already? Haven't we seen The Theory of Everything, which is this film? No, it's not this film. It's very different. But like in terms of it, somebody dealing with disability and the life around it and whether or not you can still sort of like achieve things. the, The thing is, Stephen Hawking is an exceptional person for all kinds of reasons. And we watch that film because we can't wait to see how he becomes the Stephen Hawking. We all know. But a lot of people might not have heard of Robin Cavendish. And his story isn't about how amazing he was, really. It's more to do with how amazing the people were around him and the way that it shone a light on something that was kind of hidden. That's not really the theory of everything. I understand why you say that. And 
I think that you, you're coming about though, Andrew. Well, yeah, sure. You're coming about Andrew Garfield looking for an Oscar. I can see why. If that's what you think about the film, you'll go in feeling a bit like, "Come on, show, impress me, show me this isn't just a copycat." And to you know, to your credit, Phil, I do think not a lot of uh, is asked of Andrew Garfield here. He just grins a lot, <laughs> but he's still he's slightly annoying when he grins. He's though. still very, very. Do you good. Not think he's got a slightly annoying grin face? Mm, well, I think that's why they've chosen him um, because <laughs> he's got well, no, there's some footage face. right at the very, very end, uh, just before the credits of the real guy and his friends wheeling him around and you think whoa this actually I thought this was a really sentimental film but it turns out it really did look like it was like that and this guy really did have a massive grin on his face a lot so it would seem so I think he's very well cast it's a very good performance it's perhaps not a hugely challenging performance because there's only a couple of scenes where you're supposed to be seeing depth and it's very clearly telegraphed Claire Foy's performance is much more impressive because she carries a lot through not very much expression I was impressed uh, one last comment. You said you thought it was well directed. Is that because it's Andy Serkis directing it, and you think, oh, that's surprising. didn't know it was him. Didn't know it was or him. Or do you think you thought it was good during the film? At the, the beginning, especially, I was really impressed by the way it tell, told the story with very little hand holding. You didn't need to see very much to really understand what was going on. And I love that it was an unfashionably posh, and the settings were unapologetic. It showcased the glamorous lifestyle. It was just very efficient, very cleverly done. I think it does lose its way a little bit towards the end. Um, it just becomes a bit more indulgent but that that's hand in hand with the story so i need to stop talking about this so we can move on to yours what's Breathe your grade for me gets a i want to give it a b half plus <laughs> b half plus so i think i'm just gonna have I to give it a, a b minus sorry no i think i'm gonna have to give it a b plus because i did enjoy it by the, the same end. as thor ragnarok well that's the thing isn't that's it? that's a load of rubbish just give it a b they're very least. different films I don't think I can allow you to strong arm me that way, Phil. I can't believe you cried three times. I did, really. I'm not going to shame you about it, but that is embarrassing. I don't think it's embarrassing at all. I'm no robot. You can cry once in a film, I reckon. I am Phil. I don't care. (laughs) I know I cry all the time (laughs) in films, but I only cry once. I feel like you can only get one out of me. No, mate. Go and watch this film. Okay, right. Enough of this. Let's have... uh, Happy Death Day. Oh, hey. You're up. Am I in a dorm room? Yeah. I folded your pants for you. Great. Dude, did you hit that? Oh, what? Stop global warming. Don't be late to party tonight. Okay, bye. Bye. Tree, happy birthday. You scared me. Hey, you're up. Look, I know this isn't going to make any sense. Stop global warming. I feel like I'm losing my mind. Happy birthday. I've already lived through this day. Somebody's gonna kill me tonight. See you again here now. Is everything okay? Shut up! Shut up! Shut up! Assuming that I believe any of this is even possible. Sprinklers. Car alarm. The way I see you, you have unlimited amount of lives. Unlimited opportunities to solve your own murder. So I'm supposed to keep dying. Until I figure out who my killer is. You want to live to see tomorrow, right? Whoever's killing you knows it's your birthday. Pretty much the entire school knows. These are signs of major trauma. You should be dead. You relive the same day over and over again. Kind of start to see who you really are.
may I say, Phil, I wasn't expecting to be intrigued by it. I thought it was a comedy to begin with. It's not a comedy. It looks like a horror, but a weirdly entrancing one. Yeah, basically, this is a high concept uh, horror film without that much horror. I'd say without much horror. Not that, not that much horror. <laughs> oh, oh, I'm annoyed. Right. It hasn't got that much horror in it, listeners. Horror. Um, but it's more of a thriller, I would say. Okay. Uh, with some horror elements to it. But the horror isn't that scary. I wasn't that scared really throughout the film. Partly because of the concept. The concept, which you might have picked up from the trailer there, was that this lady tree... Nice name. Whatever that's about. Nice yeah, name. Her name is Tree. Uh, Tree wakes up on her birthday and she has a nice day. And then she is uh, unfortunately dispatched by a masked killer, uh, a killer wearing a baby face, yeah. which is, uh, I think, linked to the university they're at. That's the sort of mascot. Okay. So it's a mascot mask in front of it. And then she wakes up after being uh, attacked to find that she's back in her bed and the ringtone that she's got saying it's her birthday is playing again. The guy she met the night before is still in the room, uh, Carter, and she suddenly realises that she's actually reliving the day she's just had and lo and behold, at the end of the day, again, a masked man comes and dispatches her. I'm trying to avoid saying kills her. Yeah, no, I understand. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Anyway, but as soon as it realize, you basically realise it's Groundhog Day, but with a bit of a, a nasty element in it too, as well. And so it meets the sort of an investigation, sort of a Groundhog Day type comedy situation where she slightly tweaks different things uh, to discover what's happening and plays things out in different ways. Written by Scott uh, Lobdell, who, believe it or not, was one of the writers on the X-Men, the animated series. That was a good show, man. Mm, good I show, remember well. bit of Wolverine. And it's directed by Christopher Landon, who's a writer and director. It seems he's done more writing than directing. He's been involved in some big projects, it seems. Do you know, that makes sense to me, because the budget I've got here in front of me, Phil, says it was made for about $5 million, but it's already brought in about $70 million. So it's one of these films where it might not have the A-listers behind it, but obviously it had enough belief that it got marketed well, and it's been a success, right? I think it's been a success, largely down to the concept is an interesting one what would you do if you're really living the same day that's a great idea Groundhog Day smashed it to pieces way back then with Bill Murray but here's a new element to that when somebody's chasing you what are make you going to do make it a murder mystery basically. make it a murder mystery yeah. which has its benefits and has its flaws it's interesting because it means you get to sort of try and piece the mystery together and she watch as she investigates individual people that she's encountered throughout the day yeah. and your brain is constantly working thinking okay well she's only met these people it must be one of these groups of people in her life that is doing all of this it can't be unrelated and you see slowly sort of watch her try and figure it out and kind of hit roadblocks and at the same time she's getting to know people in the story uh this carter character who she wakes up in his room from the night before he sort of gradually starts helping her in some sort of format um unfortunately it means there's very little peril in the film because you know she's going to be fine like while she will get killed at the end of the day she's going to be fine and the movie knows this this is a problem because about midway through she suddenly starts having issues with this problem yeah because it means like oh wait her body's sort of decomposing from abuse or whatever but actually she's been fine like the millions of times she's already gone through the day it's just now they're realizing oh we can't keep doing this because otherwise there's no stakes yeah yeah and she's just not going to be scared of him of of the of the killer she's just gonna get on with it and, and keep does on that, looking. does that actually have consequences or is it obviously a bit of a MacGuffin to it's make sort of happen? annoying because it, it they want to do the concept the high concept thing but they realize it doesn't quite work with the the horror element so they need to slightly change it and when it does start changing it, it does mean that there's a bit more stakes but at the same time you're thinking 
well, is it that this is her last chance to figure things out or is it that she's still got a bit more juice in the, yeah, the Groundhog yeah, yeah. Day mechanic or whatever? And so you never know really where you land on that. So you never really feel her stakes. Is there an explanation for why it's happening or not really? No. Okay. And that's fine. There's not an explanation in Groundhog Day. It's just an incident. It's a device for the storytelling. Fine. What is really annoying, and I don't want to spoil the story for anyone who does go see it. So if you're if you're really keen to watch it and you don't want anything spoiled about it at all, turn off now or, or skip ahead. There's a point at which she kind of works out something and it's really boring what she works out. Right. And it means that the story suddenly becomes really boring and you think, oh, is this really what the film's about? And there's quite a big chunk where she's quite settled on an idea that she has and it's a really, really boring version of what's going on and why she's being attacked that doesn't really feel satisfying. And it isn't until like the last 10 minutes of the movie that you realise actually she's got it wrong. Right. And... That's quite clever, It's isn't much it? more interesting than you realise. But you have this big patch kind of in uh, three quarters of the way into the film where you're like, ugh, oh, See, really? In other words, they gambled a bit and they thought they can head you off at the pass by making it seem one way, but actually it's another way. Which but is they a good spent way. too long on the yeah, wrong Yeah, and the thing okay. is, is, in order to pull off that twist that they're trying to do, which is a good one, it's annoying because it means that a large percent of the movie, you're uninvested. And that's a bit of a flaw. But overall, it's it's quite serviceable as a film. It's quite interesting. I wish they could have done a bit more and made her a bit smarter as a character. She's a she's a college girl, classic sorority girl, who's a bit, uh, bit mean to people, has lots of guys interested in her. She's sleeping with her professor, blah, 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 blah. Yeah, All yeah. that sort of stuff. And that's a bit annoying that she's so cliche. And also, she's not very likeable as a character, which... I guess means that then you can go on the journey where yeah, she yeah, develops yeah. over the course well, of like her groundhogging. Yeah, yeah, yeah. The other thing which annoyed me is the fact that in the film they explicitly mention, have you seen Groundhog Day? Okay. And I think, no, you can't do that. I don't like that. That's But the thing is otherwise people would just be everyone would be saying it, so at least you can head them off. The the audience is already saying it and by the time they say it, they've already thought it about a billion times. Yeah, fine. So why you can't you can't have your cake and eat it too. You can't pretend like you're doing all. You're do you doing think, it in other words, if they were going to do that, they should have done it straight away. The first person she mentions it to. Yeah, the said, person. Oh, the that's pers- like that film Groundhog Day. Yeah, this is right. Groundhog Day. Like you're groundhogging or whatever. Make it into a feature. Like, oh, this explains it all, and it's and makes it a conscious thing right from the get go. You can't do the whole movie and basically use that concept and then at the very end say, oh, have you seen the film Groundhog Day? Like it doesn't work. So you need to. You can't, yeah. It just that frustrated me. But overall, I found it enjoyable. It was fine. Keeps it, you in suspense, like it works. I mean, it doesn't sound like it's got many laughs in it. It's more the suspense that keeps you. It's more just you want to know who it is, fine. and then you have that chunk where you think you know who it is, and it's a bit rubbish. Yeah. And then you find out it's not who you thought it was, which is better. But it's the last ten minutes. Got it. Yeah, 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 yeah. Uh, but the the format of her trying to succeed against somebody who's attacking her is quite good, and yeah. Not not that scary. On and a Bailey Boo score, yes, exactly. I would probably give it a, like a three max. But is maybe it quite violent two. though? Um, no, not really. It's it involves a knife and a guy who's threatening her, but it's, there's not really very much blood in it or anything like that. It's not that much of a. It's more threatening than anything. It's more else. of a thriller. But the threat diminishes over time. Because yeah, because you see because, it again and again. Yeah, you see it again and again. Right. And actually, the way that they do it is that as soon as she would be uh, dead, yeah it cuts back to her waking up in sure, the beginning of the day. It. So you don't really ever get a sense of her actually enduring what's happening. She just, the attack happens, she's dead. Um, so that's Happy Death Day. Interesting idea. Maybe you were intrigued as well. I, it wasn't the normal sort of film that I go watch, but it was a high concept enough that I was intrigued and not wholly bad. I think I'd probably give it a C plus. Not because it's bad, I just don't think. It's kind of schlocky or whatever. I mean, I was expecting slightly higher, but there we go. Got it. There you go, Happy Death Day. 
All right. I'm sorry, listeners, that we haven't managed to see The Death of Stalin, the other film with death in the title. I think we were both considering it, and I'm quite like you to go and see it, Phil, because I think you have preconceived notions based on that preview episode we did. Yeah, I do want to see it, and I might see if I can fit it in some point. It's one of those films where I'm I'm intrigued because of the people involved, but I just don't see how it would work. I've heard rumours that it's not it's not a black enough comedy in its humour, um, so it doesn't quite work. It falls flat a little bit. Yeah, I'll try and see it if I can. There we go. Yeah, go for it, man, if you can. I mean, I'll be watching other films, I'm afraid. Yeah, I'm, I'm excited about the Murder on the Great Orange Express. I will Are be seeing you, that one. Yeah, Are I am, genuinely. Mm. I haven't seen uh, or heard any of the... What's the word? I don't know the story, basically. I've so. seen the original. Oh, not the original. I've seen the 1970s one. So I, I, I'm going in blind, so it's a genuine mystery good. for me. Well, you so watch excited. that one then. I think that's a good idea. All right, okay. Right, let's move on to emails. Bill, email song, please. Emails in the middle of the show. Oh, man. Is that a real thing that you're doing? I didn't, didn't da, recognize da, that. Da, 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 I don't know. Right. The good stuff. Great <laughs> listeners. Thank you, you very didn't much. Tell, I was literally leaning back in my chair when you said, Phil, do an email song. And I was like, Well, okay. that means you just had more time to think. So no, I didn't. It wasn't. Was, <laughs> oh. uh, listeners, thank you very much for being in touch while we've been away. A good few emails to chunter through. Chunter, is that word? <laughs> no. <laughs> for ages. I think chunter. I had another word in my head and I couldn't quite remember. Um, got to, let's just go straight in. DVDs, says Gavin. Hey, you two first. Plus one for Phil for his charity shop buying. Do you remember that? A long time yeah, ago? Yeah, it's a great tip. Go find... I went into a charity shop the other day and I saw... What nearly happened to me was I got... Um Seduced by the tin. Like it was one of those DVDs that comes in Special tin edition. cases. Yeah, and there were like five of them next to each other. And I was instantly picturing them on my shelf thinking, oh, no, it looks so actually, handsome. No, I, am, I am really interested in bonus features for Jurassic Park 3. <laughs> <laughs> I, I do really want. I need that in all, my life. All the Bourne films, even though I'm pretty sure I've already got most of them at home. So, but fortunately, my wits returned. But it is compelling. Anyway, he goes on. I personally buy DVDs nowhere else. Great advice, as long as none of your listeners muscle in on my territory <laughs> on Brentwood High <laughs> very Street. Very true, very true. There we go. Second, an instant minus one for Phil. Why? For putting all of your DVDs in a folder. That's not a minus one to me. That's me being he says, a future-loving husband to barbarism. my... Barbarism. That's what he says. Uh, you know, it's like keeping your books in a Kindle or keeping port in the fridge. <laughs> oh, yes. <laughs> <laughs> I, I, it wouldn't be my choice, but, you know... Uh, it was a, a labour of love, wasn't yeah, it? Yeah, sacrifice for... Well, there you go, Gav. Phil's asking you to eat humble pie. Look at the way you flipped it round on you. Mm. Separate thought, he says, I'd love you to watch my favourite non-Christmas film sometime and give your thoughts on it. Kind Hearts and Coronets with Alec Guinness. In fact, if you're going to do your themed episodes, it'd be fantastic to do one on Ealing comedies, none of which I think I've heard you speak. None of which I... Th- yes, and of which... <laughs> Sorry, the of witches are getting me. And of which Kind Hearts and Coronets is one. There we go. Much love, your friend Gavin. thing, Ealing Comedies? Is that a studio, like Hammer Horror? I assumed that Ealing was in uh, the Ealing, as in that kind of kitchen sinky thing. Maybe I'm wrong about that. Isn't Ealing a borough or something? <laughs> I don't know. Oh, this is terrible. So, Gavin, obviously we need more info. <laughs> we need clarification. We're, too, we're, too we're just going to be sat there Googling it. <laughs> Uh, but that sounds good. We'll look it up. And I'm up for anything with Alec Guinness in it. I've watched a couple of films with him in his sort of younger iterations. And he is a weird sort of screen presence uh, prior to Obi-Wan Kenobi. Do you think Star Wars would have had any uh, attention to it if it wasn't Alec Guinness? Uh, he helped, didn't he? But I don't know the answers to that really. He you can probably find all... about 5,000 videos asking that question on YouTube. 
Okay. Ooh. Fine. Won't contribute. <laughs> Sorry, that was a very mean way. All I was trying to do was, was move on the conversation. Yeah, we'll move on then. I do apologise, Phil. I came out so meaner mean. than I meant it. Sorry. So mean. Uh, but check this out. Here's some meanness coming our way, Phil. Rachel gets in touch. Blade Runner. Firstly, oh, okay. an apology is I only get in touch when I strongly disagree. However, I often feel the reverse. Onto Blade Runner. What have we done? I thought it was fantastic. I'm afraid I had to stop listening in disagreement. You said not enough emotion was shown. I thought that was brilliant. In such a harsh, cruel world, the glassy seriousness was correct and made the outburst of emotion, particularly from Ryan Gosling, all the more powerful. I love the different locations and that so much time was spent on them. In particular, the building in which Ryan and Harrison meet is stunning and made for a very good action scene. Referring to them as Ryan and Harrison makes me think she maybe just knows them. uh, (laughs) She's best mates with them. Yeah. It was too long, but managed to keep me engaged, even though I'm not a major sci-fi fan. It also generated discussion all the way home and then some more. Big recommend. Now, firstly, Rachel, I hope you'll appreciate us reading out your whole email when you didn't listen to the whole show. (laughs) Well, you know, I was just about to say exactly the same Were thing. You really? I was about to preempt you and say you made a mistake there because if you admit that you didn't listen to the whole thing, we have a thing which says that your opinion is invalid. If you don't, do we have a thing? Yeah, a I thing? always say your opinion on Deadpool is invalid. You haven't watched the yeah, whole Phil thing. Phil has been was very you know critical of me for leaving Deadpool early, and I think it's fine if you don't want to watch it. That's fine, and it's fine to turn us off. We're not judging you for that. But you can't turn us off and be annoyed. <laughs> I, no, Rachel, I mean, obviously, having exited Deadpool early, I can relate. So I'm sorry that we irritated you. I think I would encourage you, if you can stomach it, to go back and listen to the rest. Because I think we do sort of moderate our thoughts towards the end. And, you know, the grades, just to reiterate, I, I gave it a B minus, you gave it a B plus. Yeah, we, I like the def- film. Exactly. We didn't hate it, but we, we did take it to task. And I think you even give your sort of boilerplate response, Phil, which is that when there's a film that is so huge in the cultural context, consciousness it's almost like it's a bit like we did with dunkirk it's you sort of assume that everyone already knows there's quality here yeah so instead it's more interesting to focus on the more analytical side of things i mean that said i I can't agree with some of your points there but you know that's what makes film so great i suppose yeah i think what we raised was personal opinion basically wasn't it it wasn't uh necessarily a comment on the quality of the film but interestingly you said that it was too long and i think that is a fatal flaw in the film and audiences haven't really wanted to go see it it seems to be a major yeah. flop which is a real shame because i don't think dennis villeneuve has made a floppy film no and i don't think the intent of the film is floppy either it's only a flop because of the money that was spent on it i mean there's certainly it's not it's not poor box office returns for the kind of film it is but you do have to wonder what the studios thought they were getting when they pumped that much but cash also into i slightly franchise. wonder why they thought blade runner was this magical property well, that's what i mean yeah because even the original polarized people and it's only a cult classic it didn't do well at the box office so you know it's not really a surprise it's history repeating itself but anyway thank you very much rachel for getting in touch sorry we bugged you with it um i mean i, I still hold on to all my opinions <laughs> afraid but there we go come back at us if you uh, disagree with us more we love it oh goodness yeah okay all right um we got an email here from the natural and his natural wife included uh, this <laughs> That's time maybe not the best name a natural wife his natural wife i, I, I don't mind it dear sbbs we unexpectedly loved thor ragnarok yeah great great comic book colors and design and just about followable crazy story nice touches of humor the way it was filmed or directed or both had a sense of space to take in what was being shown so it had plenty going on but it didn't feel like it was constantly in your face in your face uh it's a long film but filled the time admirably i was surprised to find there were some laugh out loud moments kate blanchette as you insist on calling her there phil i think she's kate blanchett isn't she 
blanket, whatever. Blanket, fine, cake blanket was compellingly good. <laughs> well cast and powerfully dressed, made up as the coolly terrifying baddie. Spot the bit part for Sam O'Neill. We didn't mention that. That was a cool cameo. I think we're going to save that for the spoilers if we do any there. Okay, yeah. all right, we shall. I'm not sure if I'm right, but it's possible the guy who wrote or directed might also have been acting for the rock man Korg. In fact, yeah, he, he did. He did the voice. Taika Waititi. Yes, that's right. The natural. He actually phrased that as a question. I missed out the, the questioning word. And had pretty good comic timing. Altogether good fun. Thanks for the holiday filler episodes also. Very interesting comments on Blade Runner. Do you think it's important to see the original Blade Runner before seeing the new one? Hope you enjoyed your own holiday break. Thanks very much. Uh, with the Blade Runner question, I would say you need to know what Blade Runner was about. I don't think you need to see it. Uh, you need to get the idea of the the core things, the replicants, the the investigation. My, into... um, my thing, it depends what your motive is, because I have to say the natural. I think you should see the original Blade Runner first, because if you do it the other way around, Dennis Villeneuve's version is so similar and it relies on so many of the things the original Blade Runner did that if you watch his one first, it's almost like looking at the copy rather than the original, and it will only serve to lessen the replica, your impression. You yeah, exactly. It'll <laughs> only lessen your impression of the original. So I think it's better to see the other, and, and partly because I think the original's better. I actually don't like the original very much, but I think it is a better film. So I, I we're going to get angry yeah. emails about that now. Who? What? Because you didn't like Blade Runner. Oh, it's all right. You know, it's all right. <laughs> We're just making ourselves a, a worse pie to eat. What's the food? What's the food? Oh, I don't know. I'm tired. I don't know what you're talking about, but there we go. You know, let me know what you guys think of Blade Runner. I, I remember thinking, you know, this is really impressive and I can see how it's a, attracted a following because the world feels very kind of real and creepy, but it is quite slow and boring as well. So, <laughs> yeah. I think it's important to be able to say a film is really good and it's very artistic and it's got a lot of themes and well-directed and all this sort of stuff and still be like, it's kind of boring. Yeah, I think that's stuff, fair. Some stuff is boring. It's okay for it to be boring, boring and still be good. Yeah. Okay, moving on to some tweets. We've got a few here from Alistair. Alistair got in touch. He says about Blade Runner, saw it earlier and it was a sensory visual musical attack on the senses, but as a story requires repeat views. A pure epic, but I wanted more depth and action. Uh, he also, thank you very much, Alistair. He also added, listen to your uh, video game show and agree most game movies are rubbish, but I did like Assassin's Creed and Lara Croft is looking good. Uh, we are, well, I think we made our opinions very clear on Assassin's Creed. Yes. And I think also part of the reason why we did the whole video thing is because I'm nervous about the Lara Croft thing. I'll be honest. It doesn't look like they're, they're willing to risk alienating the sort of teenage boy market. Mm. And I, instead of doing just an interesting film about an adventure, they're trying to hit both boxes they're trying to make it serious and cool and gritty but also still make it that sort of action adventure thing it will be interesting how they straddle that line i i am not holding out a huge amount of hope based on the trailers anyway uh nicholas also got in touch about our video game special and he says fantastic hashtag movie special on video games that's very generous nicholas thank you <laughs> i think that's <laughs> very generous <laughs> we enjoyed it but i think i feel like we didn't hit our stride until we started inventing our own video game <laughs> that was fun i enjoyed that, that yeah was it was good we should do that kind of thing more often but, i think uh, both of you. us felt we wanted, in our heads, we both had this ambitious idea that we'd watch all these no films time, and then we'd be able to do this sort of amazing, well-researched, well-reasoned thing. Oh, yeah, so, but that's interesting because it links with it. We didn't do any of that. We were kind of just going off of what we already we had seen. To. That we need And must. that was unfortunate. But we're really glad that there's something enjoyable Well, in he it. goes on to say, would you add into this category, hashtag Scott Pilgrim or Pixels or Tron or Hardcore Henry? I think no to the first three and Hardcore Henry as I understand it, is inspired by rather than directly related to a video game. 
Yeah, Scott Pilgrim is more... It's a comic book, isn't it? It's comic book, but video game culture is not necessarily about video games, I Yeah, so it's, it's not a game movie, I don't think. No, but Pixels interestingly, really Wreck-It Ralph is an interesting video game movie, and uh, that was also bizarre because it used video game characters, but the actual film isn't really about video games. I couldn't believe games. Sonic got such a cameo. Like, I mean, I if you to have him in it, have him in it, seriously. He's fallen massively, man. Sonic is nowhere near the hero he once Phil, was. Apparently he's coming back. Apparently he's coming back. Anyway, look, he goes on. <laughs> Other future films, he says, include Tetris, Minecraft, Sonic, Call of Duty, uh, and he would love to see Shadow of the Colossus. I don't know what that is. Shadow of the Colossus is probably the most cinematic video game there's been, I think. Uh, I really wanted to play it, but each game goes for like 60 quid. And it's like, who's got 60 quid to throw around (laughs) on a game from like the 90s? Is that when it was made? No, it's 2000s, but like basically the 90s now. I think we mentioned Minecraft and Sonic, didn't we, in the episode? Yeah, those are coming up fairly soon. Tetris, I hadn't really heard about. I can only think that'll be a slightly annoyingly ironic uh, action film, basically. It'll be something like Battleships was, where they make Transformers out of the blocks or something like that. Yeah, Call of Duty, well, that's just a war film, isn't it? I mean, they don't really have characters in those games, do they? No, and exactly, that's fine. Like, you just make a war film. Yes, yeah, true. And his last point, which is a good one, he says the problem with adapting great games like, for example, Metal Gear Solid, is that two hours is not enough to cover such a complicated story. And that is a really interesting point, Nicholas. And we sort of talked about this, didn't we? I think films have to be free of the requirements of the video game. Otherwise, there's no chance. And we've kind of done that ad nauseum, haven't we? Basically, you take it as a starting point. That's it. And you have to then completely abandon anything to do with the video game at that point you just take the characters and some of the ideas and the themes or you do the opposite which is you take the video game experience and then put that into a story so basically you define one version of playing the game Uh, but i think we're kind of getting a weird halfway house between those two things yeah i'm in agreement uh and that i think is it uh i think i will leave it there for any tweets or twos well sorry twitter twos what are you talking about it's well, I don't understand, Phil. What did you? What, did you ask me a question? Yes, have we got tweets? Those were tweets. Oh, that's what. Okay. Oh dear. Time to go. <laughs> <laughs> it's all going on. <laughs> there we go, man. Episode thirty-four of season two is over. How are you feeling? I think it's actually episode forty-four. I can't count. It's forty-four. Forty-four. <laughs> it just like, took out uh, ten just, weeks just, just, <laughs> of uh, work like, and effort because I have to do. Like, wow, I'm tired. Well, look, Phil, the episode's over. Did you enjoy it? Uh, yeah, it's nice to be back, but at the same time, I feel like we haven't done the normal Super Baby Rage brilliance. We're going to have to get back into our rhythm. I'd like to say it's your fault, but I don't think that is really fair, is it? Listeners, thank you so much for tuning in. I hope you enjoyed our thoughts on Thor Ragnarok and Breathe and Happy Death Day. And also that sort of random ramble about The Matrix and rebooting sequels after the first uh, episode or whatever it was. Can we just say the one thing which we didn't say we were going to say, but we're going to say now? Right. There's been lots of news stories in Hollywood and all that sort of stuff. We, as a podcast, have consciously decided that we wanted to be a bit different. We know you guys can access all that stuff in the news. You know, you, I'm sure you've been reading all about it. It is awful. But in this podcast, we've made a conscious choice to make it fun and interesting and a break from some of the nastiness in the world. So don't interpret that as us not caring. That's a conscious choice. Thank you for saying that, Phil. Yeah, right. And I should say that was a decision we made at the beginning of the whole podcast. That's not just because of the recent horrible things going on in Hollywood. Uh, it was one of my particular feelings was that the podcast 
I love the most completely avoid the news. <laughs> anyway, that's a bit of a bum note, and this is well, why we don't do it in the podcast, isn't yeah, it? Yeah, yeah, yeah. But anyway, listeners, thank you so much for listening, and we will be back next week with uh, Murder on the Great Orange Express, and hopefully something on the death of Stalin and other films as well. There's a big one on the tip of my tongue, but I can't remember what it is. So yeah, we'll be back next week. Check it out then. Bye. Do you want to have a bonus off? Yeah, do it, man. Good okay. way to start. Good are we start. are we going in competition mode or are we going for well, just asking two... listeners to say which one they prefer? Yeah. Okay, fine. Yeah, do that. Bonus off. Do you want to go first or second? You well, go first. Let's flip ahead uh, a coin and see who's. One. Yeah, here What's we go. It? That's not a coin. What yeah, is it? I, it's just a mic stand thing. I'm going to flip it. Whichever way it points is who does it. Okay. <laughs> That's so rubbish. <laughs> it's pointed towards me, listeners. So hey. I'm going to go first. Laurie, how do you say pain or chocolat? Pain or chocolat. How do you say it? Say it again. Pan au chocolat. Pan au chocolat. Pan. So, I do pan. Pan au chocolat. Do you say pan au chocolat? Pan au chocolat. Or do you go pan and not do the N? Uh, chocolate one, mate, yeah. <laughs> so this is the thing. I go to like these cafes in Oxford. I'm like, oh, can I have a pan au chocolat? And they're like, what? No, are they really? <laughs> yeah. And I'm like, I don't know how to say it without either just looking like um, I'm an idiot where I don't know how to say it properly. My French pronunciation comes in and I think I need to say this properly because it's a French thing. Or they just don't understand what I'm saying. So I feel like I'm stuck between a rock and a hard place. Why don't you go and ask for a chocolate croissant? That's not what I it think is. They're a bit pedestrian, that's, weren't they? That is literally a different thing, isn't it? Yes, that's true. It's it a pan au chocolat. Pan au chocolat. Pan au choc chocolate. Say it one more time to me. Pan au chocolat. I think it's the middle word. Oh, you need to say oh, pan au. Pan au chocolat. That's better, man. Pan au chocolat. I'd like a pan au chocolat. Chocolat. Can we do the Google thing where we get them to say it? Uh, yeah, all right. Pain au chocolat. Ooh, chocolat. Au chocolat. chocolat. I love the French accent, man. I wish I could do it. Yeah. Well, there we go. I I'm mean, trying and it doesn't work. I feel your pain. I understand. You kind of think, could you not have called it something else in England, mate? But I'm sure you're fine. <laughs> just just have confidence. This is what I decided when I was in Portugal and trying to get the accent right there, which is difficult. Uh, you just have to be, what Eng- especially English people tend to do when they're not confident, is mumble a bit. So you're like, pain au chocolat. And you kind of feel like the quicker you can say it, the, the more natural it, pro- it looks. The better it probably sounds, because <laughs> no one can really hear it. And it's the dumbest kind of reasoning, because all anyone thinks is, what? What are you saying? What? So well, you need to have the confidence to take it slowly and over-pronounce it, because then they're, they're still more likely to understand you. Pain au chocolat. See, they will understand that. Take off the patronising <laughs> look at, you know, expression on your face, <sighs> and you'll be fine. Pain au chocolat, s'il vous plaît. <laughs> Should I just see me play? Should I just see me frosh? Frosh all the whole way. Mm, come see, come see. Yeah, yeah, yeah all very good, Phil. Oh, did you, you, you satisfied with my contributions to your bonus? Do you feel yes, like I, will, I didn't waylay it, did I? Even no competition. <laughs> Do you want me to make sure I don't lay, lay me up yours? Yeah, I don't think that's. I don't think you'll be able to because I think mine is naturally funnier. You ready for this? <laughs> oh, day. So, Phil, do you know the song A B C? Yeah, A B C D E F G H I J K L M N O P Q R S U-V-W-X-Y-N-Z. Right, now you just did it there. Check this out, because you're going to be thinking about this now for the whole week. Why is the word and in the song? Every single other <laughs> syllable is a letter of the alphabet, but we can't not say and Z or and Z. Listen to this. A, B, C, D, E, F, G, H, I, J, K, L, M, N, O, P, Q, R, S, T, U, V, W, X, Y, Z. Why do we say and? <laughs> like, 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 see, I told you. I don't want that in because I was like, 
XYZ. Why is the and in there? What's wrong with X, Y, and Z? Why do they have to come after and? Why are they in a separate clause of the song? Are they, he all are they he can't see it's all jigging that he's doing as he sings. Are they, oh man, that's funny. Yeah, I told you. That's weird, you. isn't it? Are they inferior letters? That's what I want to know. I'd feel offended if I were X, Y, or Z. I've got other alphabet bonuses, by the way. Go on, let's hear <laughs> no, more. no, no, no. Come on, no, hit, no, no, hit me I'll up. I'll it for another day. No, like, you can't like, like, separate too, them up. It's, it's a, too rich a It's a genre. No, no, That's okay. it. You can't, you can't <laughs> no, say I bits and bobs. To. You can't make me do it. My bonus is I over. I could have gone on to macarons. Listen to how much he laughed just then. I oh. think we know who wins. It's the jiggles that you did. <laughs> you sing it. Oh, listen. But listen, it's like that'll play on your mind as it has been mine. Why is there an and in that song? They were so close to a perfect, like, full house of letters. Why and? It's not a song. Stop pretending like it's lyrics they're not lyrics <laughs> anyway yeah all right. it's gonna bother me yeah oh I man all right there oh. we go that's the end of bonus isn't it what i will say is that's another one about kids isn't it you can't avoid hey, them i didn't say that yes you did you did. it's about abc why would you say that unless because you had a kid ABC is a classic <laughs> it's not like people are listening to it on their iPods. You don't know that. Maybe I am. If somebody's got like a downloaded version of a song of that song on their iPad, I want to know why. You give me a thousand pounds. I will give you a thousand punches. Well, that's not very nice, is it? All right, that's enough. Thanks, listeners. Bye. Can I have one more thing? I'm really sorry, I forgot to say. I know come you pressed stop and everything. Come on. Uh, best use of uh, Led Zeppelin immigrant song I've I've seen in a long time. Okay. It's worth saying. Like, last time I saw it was on School of Rock, which is great. But in this hear, one, it genuinely is yeah, used. I'm, I'm as, not going to make any promises great... right now, but that may not make the final cut of the show. <laughs> we'll put it at the end may then. Not make put it at the, the end, and then everyone can laugh at me. It's normal. Literally, I would just do you it. Into it. Just, just do it. No, no, because I think you need to explain. Like, why just do it like afterwards. Give a little pause, and then just do a version of the song. A, B, C, and D, E, F, G, H, I, J, K, L, M, N, O, P, Q, R, S, D, U, V, W, X, Y, Z. There we go. It's achievable. You do it. You do it. I can't think of where I put it. A, B, C, D, E, F, G, and J. I can't even do it. I'm not good at this stuff. You're really good at mixing up songs, uh, you little DJ.